that passion is how you get the end consumer to emotionally connect, no matter where they choose to buy or research or engage with your product. So I, I you, so many things you said brought up such an empathetic response in my heart. And I know you feel the same way because there's so many great people at these brands that raise their hand to work at these brands because they love what the brands stand for, what they do, how people wear them as identities. Yet, you know, then they've grown like a groundswell around wholesale and, you know, they have this little business or big business and let's say it's still independent. And sometimes this is a whole different conversation when it's acquired, but now all of a sudden they're trying to protect fiercely what they've built while they're realizing, oh my gosh, I need to cast out and go over here. And I think that's where you could come in from an, you know, analysis and a, a just a understanding standpoint here in the, in the, podcast today. So let's talk a little bit about how you do that because I think you're absolutely right. It's like, you know how we talked about in the 3P series, the whack-a-mole 3P sellers. I feel like if you look at a, a brand VP of marketing, if you look at a VP of sales operations or a CEO or all of the above, they have their own game of whack-a-mole around the channels and experience that they manage. And oftentimes they're either competing with each other or they're not talking to each other. How do you come in and actually turn the arrows in, in the right direction? And then just how do you get, like, this is change management. And it's with people who maybe uh, raised their hand to join these companies and grew up within the ranks of these companies. They, don't, they may not necessarily have like operational expertise. How do you do that? How do you get them to come together and not change the goalposts, but change the way the game is played? Well, many, many, many companies I've worked with, I, I tried to do that by bringing them systems and processes and a map policy and agreements and a, a database. And then here's how you vet your retailers and you do this, that, and the other and, and failed with a lot of companies a lot of times. It, there has to be somebody at the company that understands that we either don't have best practices anymore or the best practices aren't applicable anymore or we have to reimagine our engagement to the marketplace. You know, I, I know I need to quit smoking and I'm committed to quit smoking. It needs to be that kind of thing or I can bring all kinds of process and insight and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. So what it comes down to is just a conversation about cause and effect. So we talk about what's happening in the marketplace today. We talk about what the relationships are with the retailers. We talk about what successes and failures they've had with product ending up in the wrong places or the pricing flexing on the internet. And then really have a deep conversation about how they go to market, what's happening out in the marketplace, and then what are the drivers that need to get modified on how they go about and do that to get a different result. And generally, they've gone and done brand protection or something like that, and they've applied the Band-Aids and, you know, with the expectation it's going to work and it's not going to work. And they see the cliff coming and that they have to do something dramatic and just basically talk through a standardized process I have that I took with me from Bose, but how it applies to their company because they're all, they're all different. Well, and I think let's start by one thing that I think will resonate universally with with the crew here today, and that is the VP of sales role, right? So, so many of the executives that I know in this space and in specialty markets, like grew up through the ranks as we talked about, and they brought these very important big retail relationships with them. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but they look up now and they're like, well, I had those relationships and I, I really knew how to, how to really manage and leverage those relationships and service 
my REI, my MEC, et cetera. And some of these companies have even built entire processes and systems around specific retailers, as you well know, and now that's biting them in the AWS. So how do you actually wean them off the drug, if you will, and get, get kind of a whole new vision that where the VP of sales operations, marketing, all of them are actually in the room together because ultimately all of those roles affect the consumer experience today. It's drip, drip, drip. Okay. It's a cadence, it's a cadence of events that gets to an aha moment. Okay. The, uh, there's no, I have to have one that's already had the aha moment. And then it's, you, you have to incrementally work with the rest of them on just days and clicks to get to those aha moments. So right. for, for example, most companies that I look at, the VP of sales, they focus on the 20% that does the 80% of the business. Mm-hmm. So that's your REI, your regional retailers, your single store players. Everybody pays attention to them. The 80% that they're just collecting orders from that does the 20% of the business, that's where we're getting a whole lot of bite in the AWS situation. Is they're not really paying attention. So I got to hit the numbers. We've right, the exactly. Numbers. I, I have to hit the numbers. I've got issues on the internet that my pricing is compressing. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're adding more distribution that's brick and mortar. They're allowing more of the retailers that they grew up with and had good relationships with to sell online that might not be the best decision. So we've got two things come to play is the pre-existing relationships over the decades with the reps and the retailers, that relationship really needs to get reevaluated based on what that retailer is really doing for a contribution to the brand, as opposed to Brent has been my bud for 20 years. That's tough. This is a huge, huge point. Before you go into the next one, everybody just let that resonate for a minute. How many of us does that resonate with? Probably every single person listening here today, because those are those are challenging op- uh, conversations to have. But now go to point two, because we're going to dive in more on point one. But well, go to point two is just that 80% that's doing your 20%, that you just keep collecting the POs and you keep shipping it out. And guess what? They're the ones that are selling it to the folks that are putting it up on the internet, that are your unauthorized sellers, whether it's in the Amazon marketplace or other marketplaces, that are dragging your price points down. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, ha- if we have serial numbers and traceable, we can jump on it pretty quickly. If you don't have traceable serial number stuff, this stuff just kind of migrates up onto the web. And then there's your pricing issues. And then I got to hit the numbers and then they get in there and it's like, well, you know, I'm not getting the margin. So then they give the dealer margin dollars, the dealer marks down the cost then sells it out, and then the internet cost gets going. We get into this death spiral of where they're feeding themselves. And then who gets bit the most? It's that 20% that does the 80% of business that that VP of sales gets a really nasty call on. I'm losing margin. You're losing share. You're dropping within the category. What are you doing about this? Well, I have a map program. Well, the MAP program is not a weapon of distribution management or pricing, whereas most of them believe that it is. <laughs> and it is not. 
It's a relationship destroyer with these key retailers that you're going to end up sending a nasty gram on price because he doesn't want to look bad to his end user consumers that you're getting compressed because of your dirty distribution.